Guys, I thought this day would never come. It is the Bluminati Podcast USF football season preview. Man, who knows if we should be playing, but we're here. We've made it. We're 11 days out, so we're here to preview every position, look at the schedule, pick our breakout candidates, best case, worst case scenario for the year. It's a, it's a dawn of a new era for Jeff Scott and the USF Bulls. I'm excited alongside with me, as always, Seth Farnador, our, the smart guy in the room, Robert Stieg, the shit poster. Colin Sherwin is going to hang out for a little bit. He's the, the old man, and uh, as always, this show wouldn't really work without our beautiful producer, Anthony Vito. Welcome aboard, guys. The 2020 season is about to get cracking. How you feeling? It's uh... – it's probably like the worst Christmas ever. You know, when like you're just past that age where you don't get any good presents anymore. And like, you're pretty much, you, the only thing you get now are like socks, socks and like underwear. Like you're, you're 18 years old. That's kind of how I feel right now. Like nothing good is going to come in the next couple of days, but eh, it's, it's here. It's time to be excited. At least a little bit. I feel, so, exa- I feel the exact opposite. I've been talking about golf for two months. So now that football's back, it's like the best of Christmas, even if it only happens, even if it's like your parents got you a cheap toy that maybe is going to break in 30 minutes. You got those 30 minutes and you really got to just, you really just got to enjoy that time. That's, that's <laughs> right, Matt. One day, take it one day at a time here. So I'm, I'm of mixed emotions here. I do think we're absolutely going to play basketball. And everyone that I've talked to in basketball says basketball is absolutely going to happen and we'll have a, a reasonably facsimile of a, of a real season. My two favorite things on the internet in the last 48 hours have been Central Arkansas putting out that they had no COVID positive tests after the football game. They took the tests immediately after the football game when the virus we all know takes like 48 hours at minimum to like show up in a test. So they take tests right after the game and then they put out, oh, we're fine. And it's like, can we just like deal here in reality? And the other has been watching Big Ten coaches leak things to friendly media outlets to try and like force Kevin Warren's hand. And then Donald Trump calls Kevin Warren and says, um, you should play football. And then everybody in Big Ten country, um, Nicole Auerbach goes on Twitter and goes, uh, yeah, the coaches are trying to like play you and there's nothing to this. And then you read her mentions and it is a misogynistic nightmare. So that's been my favorite part of college football so far. I don't know if we should play. Um, I guess we'll find out all together how safe this is. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I set the line at 12 and a half games before the season gets shut down over under I guess at this point like it's over because after this week we'll be at four I think it is four FBS versus FBS and then like total college football games I think it'll be nine yeah we'll see yeah uh, you know who knows um, and, and the, the, the truly truly funny aspect of uh, homeboy going to call the, the Big Ten is the Pac-12 just flapping in the breeze just well, if, I, I don't need your vote so I'm not going to help you out brother so uh and Larry Scott, who, and, and the Pac-12, who just literally castrated Larry Scott this week by hiring somebody else to negotiate the media deal, like publicly just blows his balls off. And then, and, and then they can't even, they're not even like taking phone calls from the president uh, because, which kind of surprised me because like Arizona's kind of a swing state. Yeah. You know, they, haven't, the other they haven't, they haven't had the, uh, 
they haven't had the parents and players really petitioning for it either. So that's it's, not, I don't, it's not as pressing out there, I don't think, for um, – and, and I think it's because they were more clear on messaging too. So they kind of clearly say why they didn't want to play or why they weren't playing, and whereas the Big Ten was kind of wishy-washy. And, I think the Big Ten would have been much more clear if Ohio State and Nebraska would, like, get in line and, like, be a good partner instead of, like, saying, like, Nebraska did, hey, we're going to join the Big 12 for a year. Um, just really a responsible, bad partner, you know. <laughs> that's that's how the Big East broke up. Shit like this. So, just saying. Fair enough. Let's uh, let's move on to some happier, happier subjects, I guess. Uh, guys, <clears throat> it's time. Position breakdown. We've had uh, uh, almost a month of fall practice. You know, the, the media has seen maybe two and a half hours of practice. A plus at stretching. Just the end of, the indie drills have been fantastic, but uh, the stretching has been off the charts, uh, insane this year so far. Um, have you seen one snapper kick? Oh God, no! I have not. I haven't gone out there. I'm not. I, I I'm not risking, I'm not risking it. I think that there's been some uh, special teams uh, periods that the, the rest of uh, the group has seen. I've seen some um, video, yeah. But we'll see. You know, it's interesting. You know, we'll we'll find out in 11 days. By this time, uh, in 11 days, this time we'll we'll either be one and zero, zero and one, and uh, licking our wounds, or you know hyping ourselves up that, Hey man, maybe we can beat Notre Dame. So it's going to be fun. Definitely going to be louder there. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. So let, let's, uh, let's kind of get into it. Uh, we'll start offense because, uh, offense, uh, is the sexier, uh, position. And I think a lot, uh, more question marks, uh, uh along the offensive side of the ball. Uh, so we'll start with the, the quarterback position. It's been a three man race between UNC transfer, Kate Fortin incumbent Jordan McLeod, and Alcorn State transfer Noah Johnson. There was a great piece uh, by uh, Joey Knight and Tampa Bay Times uh, last week about the, the, the three-man race, how Noah kind of got into it. He had to be – he was in the transfer portal for a long time. You know, he, he really wanted to get back to USF. He's from Armwood. And basically, Jeff Scott was interested, but he had to get that waiver because if you don't get the medical waiver, I don't, you can't really do anything. Got the waiver, and then it – you know, started to pick up and now it's a three man race. Uh, Kate Fortin said in, in the piece that, you know, he's, he hasn't played up to his standards uh, so far in camp. And that's kind of what we've heard. Uh, there was some scuttlebutt about uh, the first scrimmage that I, I'm not really sure if we want to go too, too deep into that, but the first scrimmage was not kind to Kate Fortin, uh, according to uh, hashtag sources. So it's a three man race. I, I'm picking Jordan McLeod, but. You guys, what have you seen, read, heard? It changed my mind. Is it Jordan McLeod? Noah? Is it Cade? What do you guys got? Start with uh, Steve. I, uh, I, I've been trying to find a little bit more sauce on this one just in general, but it's been airtight and, and no one's saying anything. So this is going to be pure speculation. I, I think if you're going to pick a guy to leave this program and make it a salvageable season – you kind of have to go with Noah Johnson uh, purely because he's the, he's the proven winner of the bunch. He's got way more experience than Cade and Jordan combined. And just in general, his skill set kind of fits a, 
a ragtag offense a little bit. He's he's a really scrappy dual threat quarterback. He can still launch it deep, a la Quinn Flowers with Rodney Adams and Mark Valdez Scantling. But where he's really going to beat you is the fact that he's not going to get swamped in the pocket and sacked every other time. He's going to escape and make those runs as quickly as he possibly can. Uh, I, I think if, if, I'm, if I'm Charlie Weiss Jr., I, I'm probably creating this offense a little bit with Noah Johnson's skill set in mind. A lot of read pass options, a lot of read plays where you can get him out of the pocket, kind of, kind of get him on runs and, and try to use his skill set to the best of his advantage. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I haven't seen enough of any of them to be able to really give you a good pick. Um, but just um, hearing Weiss talk at clinics and things like that and watching his offense last year, um, he can kind of mold it to the skill set of uh, either or, or any of these three guys. Um, I think just in limited time seeing Ford, I think he's really talented. And I think in that same piece that you referenced that uh, Charlie White says he's like the smartest quarterback he's ever had. So I think that would definitely go in his favor, even if uh, he's maybe not performing very well. And then with the tough thing with McLeod is you don't know. Um, honestly, I think he's going to be better than last season, just regardless, just from the, getting the experience and getting the getting to play last year so much. But how much better? Because how, mu- how much of the time was he hurt last year? And how bad was he hurt last year? So you really – you really have no clue since we didn't see spring and we didn't get to see these guys go through that and see them in a, like a more game-like environment. It's hard to tell, but I, I do know that it's going the quarterback's going to be improved from last year one way or the other, because I think you can win. I think you can win games with any of these guys. So that's good. And then Weiss is a, if they can make the throws, which they're not hard throws, but they couldn't make them last year. If you can make these easy throws on RPO stuff and make good reads, um, it can be very quarterback friendly. They couldn't make those throws last year. If they came this year, I think any one of these guys can win games for you. And, you know, that's kind of my thought process here is that I think that one of the only times we saw Jordan McLeod healthy was that South Carolina State game where he <clears throat> came in in place of, place of uh, Blake Barnett and, and did really well, you know, at first career start, I understand FCS program, but he, he seemed poised. He seemed to be having fun. And I think that's the guy we're going to get. You know, I, you know, last year people were telling me, you know, he just wasn't a leader. He was not a leader. He wasn't showing any leadership ability. He was scared in the huddle. And from all accounts, it's a lot different this year. He's added weight. And the key thing is he's finally healthy dealing with the shoulder injury, the the wrist injury. I think we may be able to see, maybe a full skill set that we weren't able to see fully with, with Jordan last year. Um, but I can Noah's had a good camp in that, in that piece from Joey Knight, uh, Noah said he's completed 65% of his passes in fall camp, no turnovers. That's what you want to see from a, from a quarterback. That's, you know, one, uh, won a player of the year at, at his conference level at, and, has shown that he is a, a good quarterback and it, it'd be a great hometown, you know, feel story, you know, you get two Bay area kids battling it out and, you know, hoping one of them, you know, comes out ahead. Uh, but, you know, as you mentioned, Kate's case really smart. He could, it just may click and he could be a game player, not a practice player, but a game player. And he, it may click for him eventually. And I, don't I think, think it, I think we have to be happy is at least you feel with, an actual competition 
um, this year and some depth there that you feel like whoever does win, you think you're going to have a pretty good player there. Um, and with, with regards to Jordan last year, I think, you know, when you come into a season not expecting to have that kind of role and you're kind of learning, then you get thrust into, okay, now you're the starting quarterback, lead these guys, and you're a freshman and you're, you know, leading these, you know, 22, 23-year-old grown men. That's a tough spot to be in. So I think, like you said, he's kind of made that jump with an offseason to think about it and get into the role. So, But I think any one of these guys, I think whoever wins the competition is going to give you an upgrade from last year. I agree. Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, let's move on. Running back position. Lots of stuff in flux. Jordan Cronkite no longer with the team. He graduated. Uh, apparently ran a four two forty. So shout out to him. But <laughs> uh, there's uh, influx of talent. Johnny Ford is back at running back. Darren Felix is from Oregon is there. You still have Kelly Joyner, Brian Petit. There's options. There's still options there speed there that wasn't there prior um it's going to be exciting kelly joiner uh got the you know the first snap of the first team reps last weekend i'm sure it's going to be a rotating cast i haven't heard much about johnny ford i don't know if you guys have seen red heard anything else but it seems to be the felix and and joiner show with maybe a sprinkle of four right now uh just hopefully he can stay on the field and and out of trouble for the for a full season. Yeah, I mean, um, I think you would, you got to be happy about it. your best running back from last year's back, uh, Kelly Joyner. I thought he was the best guy last year uh, coming towards the end of the season. It could just be because he was fresher, but he uh, he showed up pretty big in some games at the end of the season when they had trouble blocking some teams. Even he was so. I think he's very dynamic. I coached against Felix in high school, and he is super explosive. We had a lot of fast guys and he ran away from everybody. Um, so he's a, he's somebody I kind of watch just cause you know, when you coach against guys, you kind of keep them in the back of your mind or watch and see how they do as their career progresses. But he's a guy I thought would go on to have a really good college career. And um, I was interested. I was kind of glad to see him come closer back to home and get to watch him a little more closely, but he's super explosive. So super explosive. So you're going from last year where, you were more of a downhill in between the tackles, uh, maybe break one for 20 plus yards to a bunch of home run hitters this year. So that'll add another element to the offense too. I, I feel like just like quarterback, you're going to be improved here at this position, improved from last year. Yeah. And to that point, there's a good amount of depth on, on the running back position this year. Um, obviously Johnny Ford, Gary Felix, Kelly Joyner are, are fantastic athletes in themselves and are proven. Uh, that they're good running backs. Uh, Brian Batie, who's apparently one of the fastest guys on the team from what I've been told. Um, you know, as a, as a freshman, he should probably get some good game time as well. Um, and then I, I can't discredit this because I've, I've heard his name get popped up a few times uh, as a walk-on, but Yesias Young, he came from the same high school as Darian Felix. Fort Myers guy, right? Yeah, Fort Myers, um, but obviously a, a couple years apart. He's a, a freshman walk-on. He's apparently uh, gotten a, a good amount of reps throughout some of the drills. Uh, he's a guy that I don't think he's going to be a guy that you're going to see like every kind of down. I think he's going to be kind of like your Dave Small uh, from last year where he just kind of needs to get into space. Um, but the only concern that I have is that these guys are all pretty small aside from Dave Small and Josh Berry. Almost all of them are, are sub like 190 and, and that kind of concerns me as a pass pro. 
um, perspective. But I, I think honestly, they're, they're, this position's vastly improved over last year just because of the amount of depth we have and, and the amount of trust that they're going to have in these guys to just get into the open space and, and just break one open. And with, with regards to Pastro, you may not see them in having to do that a lot if they are doing a lot of RPO stuff where, you know, the offensive line and the running back are running a run play and the receiver and quarterback could run a pass play. They just do their normal run play stuff so they don't have to worry so much about being in protection so you can hide those little guys in there. So if Weiss does that like he did at FAU, then that maybe won't be as big of a concern. Great pivot there, Seth. Let's move on to the offensive line. Uh, uh, you know, it much maligned over Charlie Strong's tenure you know, after 2017, at least when Quentin Flowers and, and company made things look a little easier. 2018, 2019 were horrendous. Uh, you know, Mid forties sacks allowed uh, offensive, you know, explosion with bad plays were could never get developed. You had to leave in some of your best, you know, blockers, you know, Mitchell Wilcox, Dick and Mathis, leave them in to help protect. Uh, it was just a complete uh, mess. Uh, 2018, 2019. Uh, this year, the left side seems pretty stable. Donovan Jennings, uh, Demetrius Harris, Brad Cecil, left tackle, left guard center. The right side, I think we may see the second coming uh, of uh, Michael Wiggs' career. Uh, you know, if you guys don't remember, Michael Wiggs was the starter for, uh, I believe, San Jose State and Stony Brook in 2017 when uh, USF decided to move uh, Remington Award trophy candidate Cam Ruff to right guard instead of just leaving him at center. It did not work, and Michael Wakes has kind of toiled in, in the depth chart ever since then, finally getting his shot at right guard. Thoughts so far? Good. Uh, the, after that first scrimmage, the, the offensive line only, I think, didn't allow a sack. That first scrimmage and the running game showed some progress. That's good. I want to see that uh, right tackle is probably going to be uh, I think fifth year senior Jared Hopel. He's a former Virginia transfer, I believe. He's finally going to get some run. Heard compared last year to this year, it seems like Jared's uh, kind of stepped it up a little bit, and we'll see what happens. But that seems to be the starting five. It's been the five uh, for pretty much everything uh, this fall camp. Thoughts, concerns. Uh, I know Jeff Scott said that we want to have 10 guys uh, on the offensive line who can play. Who knows if we have that, but we, it looks like we've got the starting five. So um, I said I was going to stay out of this because I haven't really had a chance to watch practice or review anything. I've been very deep on other teams besides my own. But I've watched all of these guys who are in the starting five play. Dude, no. <laughs> like – no, this ain't good. Jennings certainly has moments. Harris has been up and down. Cecil, okay. Wiggs, problem. And Hopple, if Hopple was good, he'd have been starting before fifth-year, you know, senior. Like, this is why this team is in trouble, because there's just not enough talent. And, you know, Jeff Scott just hasn't had a chance to get in better players that can do – what needs to get done. I fully believe that this offense will try and hide the fact that this line is not very good and can probably do a much better job of that than some of the previous people that have come in here and tried to be a coordinator. But there's not a lot of raw talent there, man. Like, there's just – there's not. Seth, tell me I'm crazy. 
Well, I mean, it's kind of like uh, you got to see it to believe it, right? It's uh, yeah. Everybody's you would assume there's going to be some improvement, and the one thing you're hoping you can do this year that you couldn't do last year is they tried to do some. I've, I've, I've mentioned RPO, it seems like all the time, but it's very big in, in Weiss's offense. It was at FAU at least. They tried to do it last year, but they couldn't complete the passes. These were short intermediate passes. They couldn't complete the passes, so it's not something they could go to a ton. If they can do that, it takes a lot of pressure off the offensive line because they can basically just run block every play. And then now the defense is in conflict. You got linebackers and second level players and, and safeties having to decide, am I going to come up and fit run or am I going to drop back and play pass? So once you get those guys dropping back to play pass, well, that's when we hand the ball off, and now we, we got our linemen uh, maybe up on somebody that's already dropping back. So you can hide it that way. Last year, they couldn't complete the passes to do that. People just say, all right, screw you. We're going to play man, do whatever you want. And they roll up on receivers, jam them at the line of scrimmage, and then the quarterback wasn't accurate enough to make the throw. So they couldn't make a living with that last year. If the quarterbacks played better this year, you can make more of a living with that. Now you can really take a lot of pressure off your offensive line. And that is where I think that it's really going to be um, almost incumbent on your quarterback play to help with the offensive line. If they can get that where they can get people backed off and the receivers, if they can get open against main coverage, then they're going to have to change. People are going to have to change the way to defend them. But what happened last year is people will figure it out about halfway through their season. Okay, they can't throw. We can just man up on the receivers. Nobody's going to be able to separate. We can load the box. Good luck. We'll blitz. We won't. We're going to be able to put seven, eight dudes in the box. We're not going to be able to do anything. If they can loosen that up this year, that'll go a long way in helping the offensive line. It's like kind of all connected. But if they just have to get in slugfest, it's some with you know other defensive line. This would be something I really want to you know. We'll know after Notre Dame where they're at. If they can kind of play decent, they'll you'll know, all right, it's the same guys as last year. It's the same thing as last year. Or maybe they play up a little bit. You're like, okay, there's improvement. But you'll know pretty quick. Who's this quarterback that's going to be able to come in and execute, you know, uh, a, a mesh, a pull, and a throw? Oh, I'd say I would guess that all these guys have done it before. Um, you're hoping that with – regards to McLeod, that he was hurt last year. That's why he couldn't do it. Um, Fortin, I'm sure he did it a ton in high school. I know they're doing it in North Carolina. But that's 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 kind of the thing. If they can't do it, it's going to be a long season. If they can do it, see this. <laughs> then you get, if they can do it, you got a shot. So with the folks on the podcast can't see, is that we are doing this on a Zoom call, and I am – at an outdoor mall here in, in lovely Washington. And I just have my hands extended very wide right now going, what have you seen to make you think this team can run like successful RPOs with Jordan McLeod? And the thing, the one thing that we should have found out last year is that it's probably not the guy. Well, you know, he may, what I mean? oh, he may not be the guy. That's, that's what, when you hear that, you know, Noah Johnson's got 65% completion, you're thinking, okay, he must be hitting these short, quick, intermediate throws. Okay, there's some, maybe there's something there. And you add the run thread in with those guys, maybe you can get boxes and manipulate them a little bit more than you could last year. But it is going to, you're going to see soon. If these guys can't hit the throws against Citadel, it's going to be a long season. If, they're, if they can hit the throws there when they're open, because that's what it is. The RPO get, gets you open throws. You win a man coverage, you got a guy one on one, he's open. If you can't hit the, you're in trouble. 
this is going to be the major difference between you know this year and last year is if Jordan McLeod gets a start against Citadel and does enough to get the start against Notre Dame and then tapers off, there are other options now. Yeah. Last year it was Jordan McLeod or Kirk Reichel. Love and Kirk, but love Kirk. No. Nah. You know, I, I loved him throwing, you know, screen passes at 114 miles an hour. That was my favorite part of last season. They didn't have enough shoulder pads to go around to let him break everyone. <laughs> so, they had to hold him back. And, and to be fa- rolling out, rolling out at Navy down of like, I don't know, three scores in the fourth quarter, make, making a couple of stick throws. You're going, okay. And then he like rolls out and just like, you know, chucks it in the middle of nowhere you go oh that's why he doesn't play to be fair <laughs> nate week zero before we started he said huh there's only two scholarship quarterbacks that might be a problem he literally said it week one week zero it's not <laughs> guess what it became a problem i think the only consolation about this offensive line group um is the fact that if this five doesn't work out you have 14 other guys so i mean this season kind of sucks anyways fuck it why not I mean, I, I think some of the guys that uh, Jeff Scott just kind of found last minute, last recruiting cycle with Uriah Green and David Anderson, I think those guys might be ended up being pretty decent down the road. Uh, might as well get them game experience in a, in a you know, half-assed shitty season. But, it, yeah. I mean, the hope is that Coach Coach Moe is, is the guru of offensive linemen at Florida National and can just – say magic words and make these guys block better because that's the hope right now. And this is, I think we need to really kind of take this basically Jeff Scott, if he is a smart man, he seems like a very smart man. He's going to do exactly what Brian Gregory did year one. You're going to get strip your, it to the studs. You're yep. going to get your, your Peyton Banks, your uh, Gino Thorpe's or whomever to, to, bodies we just need bodies mm-hmm. and then his you know his first cycle you know justin brown david collins get quincy get some transfers and build it up get and then then you get your yetna and that's what jeff scott is going to be building we can't be and i know we get crap for it all the time we can't be so overly negative about this season okay great i think we like, all but- know that the I think fans. I think the fans are a little bit smarter this year than they were last year when we were like, guys, this isn't going to happen. This isn't it. This ain't it. This isn't not going to happen. I think they understand the the task that is uh, that's ahead of Jeff Scott. I think he knows the task that's ahead of ahead of him. And uh, you know, getting he said it right in, in the pressers. He's like he even said it like multiple times. He's like he's like knocked down those expectations. Like they're not they're not looking to their goal this season is not to win games. It's to get better week over week, day over day. So to follow up on the Brian Gregory analogy, the thing that really I think impressed all of us was his first year when he brought, you know, completely new kids in and that team was outmatched. They just didn't have the horses. They played their asses off. And they got in that right. conference tournament and they were fighting at the end of the year and they were fighting down the stretch. And that's all we could ask. And I, I thought that set a tone and a culture for the program going forward that has still paid benefits, you know, through now. Same thing here. Like, we're not going to be good. And that is fine. You know, I, and I think the, the discussion that we should probably have is, is this a, a year zero or a year minus one? Is this a year minus two? Um, I think it's a year minus one. I agree. I think, I I think, think that's the number. You know, no pandemic is probably uh, – 
year zero, but with mm-hmm. the pandemic, I think it's a year minus one. You got to give them some time here to build it up. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's going to happen though. And it's minus one also because the, but we assume we haven't heard anything, but the indoor practice facility is also going to get pushed back and that makes it even more of a year minus one situation. So yeah, I, right, I think right. minus one is fair. What's, what's nice though is right. The, Eligibility is not going to be affected by this season, correct? Right. So if all, all the, these guys come back, if you're three guys who have experience in college football, just are terrible. You have two freshmen that you can trot out without a care in the world. Trying to be smart, looks like a grown man, by the with, way. Yeah, he does. <laughs> without ruining their eligibility. So who cares? Yeah. Give each guy two games this year and see what happens. Honest Scott or just split it up, you know, what, three games each and then the two freshmen kind of cycle in and out. I mean, who cares? Let them all play. Let everyone play. This is literally right now. Everyone has to play. Everyone gets a shot to play this year. This year is stupid. Uh, it, it makes no sense to be playing. You can't. There's only, 70, what, 76 teams playing right now. You're, the Big Ten's not playing. Ohio State's not playing. The college football championship is going to be a complete farce. Okay. The AAC, no matter if you go 11 and 0 or what have you, the AAC should not be sniffing the, you know, the playoff with the types of non conference teams that they're playing right now. Unless USF fronts the table and Notre Dame still stays pretty good, you're not getting in there. And so relax. 2020 is, 2020 is one big scrimmage. It truly, truly is. Senator. It is. The senator know, has spoken. If we're if we were you know year zero, we are everybody on the planet in Candyland moves back a space all at the same time. We're year zero now. We're negative one. People that were you know ten spaces ahead of us, everybody moves back one. It's a free year. It's a fun day. It's a uh, you know was a field day. Just go for it. Let's have some – make it interesting. If we, if we have to play, let's go. And let's hope that we can find, like, three or four guys that can be a part of the future. You know, if you're right. starting 22, let's just find a, a few guys that, that you can build around that can give you some core that you can, you know, no harm, no foul this season. If the kids want to play and they feel healthy, let's go, you know. Um, but, man, I, you look at that depth chart and you just go, how the hell are we going to win four games? Like, I don't – Speaking of this, I don't see a path. I just don't see a path. There's just not enough good players. All right. So that was a long tangent outside of offensive line. Uh, Let's go wide receivers real quick. There's some talent, I assume. Latrell Williams, I think, is going to be a stud. Uh, Amari Dollison is going to be good. There's Xavier Weaver. Xavier Weaver is going to get some run. Sincere Uh, Brown got a mention in one of the scrimmages. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Trey Dukes, uh, once again, taking uh, the Freddy Krueger approach of uh, always coming back to life at the, the final moment, uh, much like Michael Wicks, his uh, 2016 classmate here. Uh, he got he got some first-team run in, in some practices over the last few weeks. He's – who knows? Bryce Miller is still a player in the slot. Um, he deserves that scholarship. He is one of the top four or five wide receivers in, on the team. And Nate, yeah. don't forget, we have a healthy, finally help, fully healthy Terrence Horn. Exactly. We're getting the full horn? The full, full horn. The full horn. There's, there's some guys there. If Randall St. Felix can find his hands again and not go the way of Darnell Solomon, that'd be fantastic because the dude's a body. He can get up there. You saw it in the ECU game last year. He finally you know, 
Charlie Strong challenges wide receivers to make a catch, and he was the guy to do it. If he can bring that consistency back this year, I think he's going to be a real player that we saw in 2018, frankly. And there, there's talent to be had. It's the utilization of the talent. It's the progression, you know, basically throwing out 2019 and just getting better. Some of these guys only have a year, maybe two years left if they decide to kind of go on to the next level. We could have Randall St. Felix for, what, three more years or something like that? Okay, sign me up. You know, I, I was – I don't know if I – yeah, I'll say it. I was talking to Chris Oladokin, and he goes, man, I'm going to be 30 by the time I leave college. <laughs> Listen, that's not uncommon at yours. <laughs> it was just really funny. And I was like, yeah, man, I mean, some of these guys, they're going to be really, really old. Like if Blake Barnett was still around, like for this year, I think he'd be 45 with three kids by the time he left college. <laughs> at another school, but like still, he'd be 45. So there's talent. I'm, I'm excited. It being a big miss with uh, Eddie McDoom opting out. He was, he was uh, I think he was going to be a playmaker uh, for this team, unfortunately. Uh, just decides to opt out. Probably the smart move there. But the offense, there's talent. It just, I think it, we're, we're a year, maybe two years away from seeing it fully evolved. To the flip side, defensively, do you guys want to start with the good or the bad parts of the Well, defense? we have tight ends still. Oh, do we? I mean, Mitchell Brickman's probably Brick? just going to end up being the starter. Don't about the call, man. Call quickly, name the tight ends. Uh, Jacob Mathis and some guy. Brinkman. 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 Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I, my apologies to the tight ends. Uh, I, I was a big fan of Jacob Mathis' play over the last six or seven games last year. His pass blocking and run blocking were top notch. And you can you can tell the maturation of, of him from when he, he was – you're unplayable in 2018 in in pass pro and and run pro like it was it was just it was so bad but he he's figured it out he's he was the playmaker last year at the tight end group for for Mitch instead of Mitchell Wilcox I think uh, Mitch Brinkman's going to be he's going to be a hell of a guy he very good looking wearing number 89 it's just it's it's due um, destiny it's like number 18 at LSU. Yeah. Give it to the next good-looking white guy on the team. Pretty much, pretty much. And Mitch is gonna is gonna uh, join the exclusive group of playing for and against USF. He, he didn't get into the game when NIU traveled down to Tampa and got mollywalked by the Bulls, but he he was there. He, he was on the travel roster, so good for him. So he joins like Aaron Lynch and a couple others. So good, good for him. Um, Third guy. Uh, oh, Thomas Nance. Um, his number is actually 44 now. It's just looking on the roster. Yeah. I don't know. What are they doing with him? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. His number is 44 instead of like 95 or something like that. So I thought that was uh, interesting. I know Steak's probably pretty heartbroken about that. I've seen like, a, I've seen in the, another guy. I've seen, I think I've seen some Holden Willis, the freshman. I think I've seen him in some drills and stuff with first team offensive line. You know, I don't know if you just psyched them through getting the breaths against guys, but. He's a guy that they liked a lot, right? And uh, mm-hmm. on signing day, and he brings a little bit different, a little change of pace to the other two guys that are a little bit bigger. Uh, I so. think Jeff Scott's comments about Holden were, um, you know, he, he's a he's a project, but in two years you're gonna be like, oh wow, this guy play him, play him, <laughs> but two years. I mean, again, just pl- play everyone. You have it's a free role. To, seriously, you have nothing to lose. All right. So do it, and this is this is the kind of attitude we need to take as a as a fan base. 
as being as objective as possible is and it, it could be really, really bad, but understand they're building for something into the future. This is not, this isn't, we didn't know if Willie Taggart was going to kind of turn this around. And, you know, after that McNeese game, we were like, oh shit, this is going to take a while. And it did, but it eventually got turned around. All right. So I think, you know, I think Jeff Scott's going to do the same thing here. It may, it may take two years to get it turned around. It may take three, but you got to give the guy time. I think he's going to get the, he's, his guys in. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun in a couple of years. Um, you know, and then until someone tires him away, but until then we're going to enjoy it and realize it could be much, much worse. So without further ado, defense, you guys want to start good or bad? Uh, let's get the bad out of the way. Bad. But uh, defensive line, right? Uh, that's yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Where I, that's where I'd start. Uh, I think three sacks return across the defensive line. Man, he brought some guys in. Dad Mangum from, uh, goodness gracious, uh, Wofford. Wofford. Man. Go uh, Terriers. Go Terriers. But there, there's some bodies there. All right. And it's just getting them to play up to the level, getting them experience again. This is, it's going to be a theme here, folks. Just get, Everyone experience. See what happens. Have a defensive line rotation of 12 deep. Who cares? Get everyone experience. See who can play from week one to week 11. Uh, it, I'd be shocked to, to find out that the, the starting lineup from week one is going to be the same barring injury that it is against UCF. If it is, man, their evaluations were spot on. But I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, so we're going to see some fluctuation. We're going to see something different. And just, again, just get as many bodies as you can out there. Uh, you know, the, the ends are going to be interesting. Um, you know, with you know, Sean Yates, you know, Barber, Pinkney, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of bodies there. So let's, let's get through them. Um, Steve, what do you got for me on defensive line? What are you seeing? What are you hoping for? It's weird. I, I, it's it's a brand new defensive system under Glenn Spencer. So no, I because my expectations going into the season is still thinking that they're going to run a four two, uh, so four defensive linemen, and I need to get that out of my head because at this point it's not going to be that way. These guys aren't going to be playing necessarily the same style. Um, one thing that I think was very interesting was um, they immediately put. Uh, Levante Camiel to the defensive line. Uh, he was recruited as like an outside linebacker. Um, he played pretty much that stand-up edge rusher role for uh, for his high school, but he immediately got put to that defensive line. So I think he's a guy that I I, I know that this um, coaching staff is very high on immediately. Um, I think Thad Magnum is one of those guys. Thad Magnum is one of those guys that's you know he could come in and just all of a sudden be an absolute stud in this defense, and we won't bat an eye. And then obviously you have a little bit of, of experience there with Kevin Kelbler and uh, Blake Green. But, I mean, other than that, Jabril Stevens never really panned out. Jason Vaughn never really saw the field. Ryan Thaxton made a play every once in a while. And Stacey Kirby really has not panned out to, you know, what we thought he would be once he flipped from UCF on signing day, became our highest signed recruit that, that class. I just – I want this defensive line unit to – have fun. And I think that's the only thing I can say about it. Well, I, I think 
I would guess. Now, I, obviously, we haven't seen any real practice or any scrimmage, so we don't know. I would guess it would be odd front team uh, based on what they did at FAU. And I think they did a little bit in the previous stops. But So you may only be using three traditional defensive linemen at once, and then you're going to use, like you said, Cameo. He's going to be a stand-up end, but he's really you know functioning outside linebacker, but we can call him the defensive end which I think you'll probably get, you know, you'll probably have some linebackers playing a lot up on the line of scrimmage. Like Boyle started to do towards the end of last year. He'll probably do that again this year. So um, that coupled with them uh, reports of the corners saying that they're in 95% man coverage would lead me to believe they're going to be very aggressive on defense, probably run odd front, blitz people from everywhere and use linebackers and stuff as rushing. So, you know, Maybe this is another play that you may, maybe you can mask your uh, lack of depth there with, with not using as many guys, but you know, we'll, we'll see it. We have no, nothing to go off. We have no spring football. It's kind of just going off of old stuff from previous places, but if they're odd front, then you can kind of get around this uh, kind of weakness on defense. So Seth, I have a technique, technical football question. So mm-hmm. I assume they're going to run a lot of man, uh, with KJ and Hamp as sort of like islands, yeah. so that means a lot of single high, I guess, is what we'll you see. can put. It depends. You can play too high. You can play. Um, you can play versions of quarters where you man up on the outside, and it just changes. Um, you basically a normal version of quarters. You may have the corner and the safety both kind of keying off number two. Well, if you want to play man in the corner, it just bumps in. So now the safety and the linebacker safety and the other safety are keying off number three. So you can you can still play different stuff by playing man outside. And you can play like funky stuff if they're playing three receivers on one side and only one backside. You can lock that up backside and play different things on the front side with it. But it does allow you to really mix up what you're going to do. You can start too high, roll one, blitz people, have safety roll down and replace so if you are playing, like they said, that 95% man with those corners, it allows you to do a lot of different stuff and give a lot of different looks for the offenses, which can be quite confusing. So then for has that affect the line? Do you go smaller and speedier with those two stand-up hybrid guys on the edge and an odd front? Do you try and get a little smaller because they might have a more room to rush the passer because there will be more bodies Within you might, five yards of the line. Some guys, some guys will play it different. Uh, they'll put the guy, you know, they'll, okay, I want my rusher to the boundary every time. Or uh, some of that's been moved because you'll see guys start to motion and mess with that. And that's like Saban and Kirby Smart had to switch up how they did some things like that. Cause they always, I think they always had a guy um, to the, to the weak side and they ended up, people started overloading the other side and they had to switch how they called stuff because of no huddle. So it's kind of a preference based on the coach. You may want um, a quicker guy on the backside because maybe they don't think you're going to run into the boundary a ton, so I don't have to have a stout guy as in there. I can put my speed guy there and then use a bigger guy out front on the to the wide side of the field. But if you, if you can feel confident in playing man coverage with your corners, you can do a lot of different stuff. You can – that's blitzing – uh, high amongst them. So that, so you can kind of use your strength to mask your weakness. Yeah, I, you know, I'm expecting big things out of Ryan Thaxton this year. Uh, he came on super late in camp and then last year uh, <clears throat> transferring in and kind of had to catch up uh, on the fly. So I think a, a full, you know, I say a full year of 
uh, you know, practices under his belt. You know, he, he got uh, an entire football season worth of practice and then uh, this fall camp here. So I, I think we're, I think we're going to see something from him this year. I'm excited for it. He's a big dude, big talent uh, coming from Tennessee. So hopefully there's, there's something there, um, you know, moving on to linebackers. It's, I think, you know, if it wasn't for this, you know, KJ and Mike Hampton, I would feel the most confident about this linebacker core. Uh, the, the combo of Antonio Greer, Dwayne Boyles, it's so, shit, Andrew Mims, um, the, the former walk-on, I think he's still a walk-on, though, gives me hope. And there's some guys behind them, uh, Samaris Bellamy, that is showing that they can start to play. But I, I'm really excited for uh, Dreadhead Wayne, I believe is his Twitter handle. Super excited for him. And then uh, Antonio Greer. Uh, who's I believe sport number five now. So we got uh, 11 and five uh, in the middle kind of causing havoc. And, you know, the unfortunate part was, you know, Tevin Gill of the Michigan transfer opting out. That would have been nice to see, but I think those two guys, I think those two are going to be some players uh, this year and, and, and coming up. Steve, thoughts on, on the linebacker unit here? Um, for the first time, I feel like we have very good depth. They moved K on Helton to linebackers so you've got a good mixture of, of speed and power uh in this linebacker core and of course we have all name um all aac player uh camp gobbler back there as well so you can never count him out to get some reps but overall I, i'm i think had you like you said had we not had the um you know our dvs returning pretty much two of the best players in the conference this probably would be the, the unit that would be leading us on defense. I, I, I'm really going to enjoy, and they're all extremely smart, and Glenn Spencer's defense requires those smart linebackers, so I think they're going to absolutely excel in Glenn Spencer's 30-foot defense. I really like both Boyles and Greer last year. I thought they really came on towards the end of the season. Uh, Greer especially, once he got uh, more reps, and that's, you know, you kind of got last year with Macon playing so well early, but it was against those teams that were just straight downhill and stuff got funneled to him. When you had to get out and get in space, Greer was, uh, I thought, played really well. Boys played really well. And Steve and I both really liked Bellamy last year a lot, just seeing that he was super explosive player. So I think you have three or four guys that are, and Mames is very steady. So I think you got some guys there that are, can play. And I think you'll see Boyles move all over the place and Greer kind of be kind of that stout guy in the middle racking up a bunch of tackles. And then if you can get something from Bellamy, Bellamy with all his athleticism, you know, you could have a pretty good linebacker core there. Going back to Bellamy for a hot second, the, where I really fell in love with him was watching his high school film. He is absolutely lethally quick off the snap. He's pretty much like, if you're going to kind of pick the strengths of each, like Dwayne Boyle's fantastic coverage, you know, have him on the outside. Antonio Greer kind of racking up the middle linebacker spot there. And then if you have Bellamy kind of hovering on that line, uh, I think you've got a really stud group of, of linebackers there just across the board. I think, I think this unit might be one of the best units that we're going to have this year just because they play to the strengths. And no, and no stiff guys. So you can play, you know, you can play a little more spread out. You, you won't be exposed. Like I thought, Macon was a little stiff last year. Once they got in the teams and wanted to spread it out a little more, it was tougher for him. These guys can all run. So that'll be, I think, and uh, I think Spencer's linebacker coach, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it'll be, it'll, I think their development will be one to watch. I think by the end of the year, they may be, you know, it'll be a 
hot debate between them and the defensive backs for best unit on the defense. And that leads us to the, the preseason favorites to be the best unit uh, possibly on the team uh, outside of maybe the specialists here. Uh, defensive backs led by cornerback K.J. Sales, uh, all-world leader, the mayor of Tampa, just a generally good person, and as well as uh, you know, Mike Hampton and Willie Taggart, uh, one of his lone survivors of the 2016 class. You know, I, I, I ding Mike a couple of points because he's a Hillsborough high grab, but other than that, he's he seems to be a pretty decent guy. You know, you can't really uh, change where he went to high school, uh, you know, a few years after the fact, but uh, good for him. He, he's kind of really shown some impressive strides, and I think those that duo is going to be really impressive. The, you know, the thing that, uh, I don't know, worries me, or maybe I'm just straight up missing or is the play of Nick Roberts. And he seems to get a lot of hype, uh, recognition. Maybe maybe it's just the, the sour taste of uh, hearing everyone, on every player on the sideline during that Gasparilla Bowl game in, in 2018 going, oh, who missed that tackle? Was it Nick again? That, those were USF players who, who were saying that after another Marshall touchdown. So maybe, that, maybe that's clouding my judgment. I'll, I'll go into this season with a fresh perspective on, on Nick Roberts and, and truly, truly kind of lock in on what he can do. I know he makes you know, a lot of tackles, which makes it seem like maybe he's just in the right position, which leads to more missed tackles because he seems to always be in the right position. And then you got Bentley Sanders, Makaba Point. I mean, the list kind of goes on. The secondary is really, really deep. Tough blow with the uh, Eugene Bowman uh, opting out. He, I thought he could get some run, but uh, Daquan Evans had a pretty good freshman year. Uh, Smoke Davis, geez, they're pretty stacked in the secondary. Uh, thoughts, uh, you know, tell me what I'm missing about Nick Roberts. Either anyone, tell me what I'm missing about him. I, I, just trying to remember last year, I think he's going to be a, a guy, a good roll down safety who can kind of play in the box or maybe play almost like a outside linebacker-ish type role where he's maybe the guy that rolls down over receivers because he's physical. He's athletic. Um, I don't know if he's the smoothest guy. I don't know if he's that deep safety guy, but I thought, I thought he improved as the season went last year. So I think, you know, I think you can even, even you would say that he, as the season went on, he made more and more plays. I think he had a, a couple forced a couple turnovers last year. And then Bentley Sanders was a, another guy that came on as the season went on last year and started to play better and better as he got more comfortable in his role. So I think both those guys got better. And then, you know, with the system, we'll see how they're utilized. It's like we've got nothing to go off of. But uh, I think they both have talent and have some skills that if they're used correct, they're used in the right way that can accentuate them and they can be good players. And then there's a ton of depth behind them. So if they're not, somebody else will step in. So I think they're in good yeah. shape to do it today. I mean, this defensive back group has probably the most amount of talent and depth at the same time. I mean, Daquan Evans came in as a freshman and, and played very, very well uh, for where we saw him. And then and you keep on going, Mikaela Point, we've seen some good things out of him. MacArthur Burnett, we haven't seen much of him. He kind of came in hot, but, you know, didn't really pan out as well. But he's still got quite a bit of experience under his belt. And even then, you get guys like Brock Nichols, a lot of these guys, I think the good part is, is they're, these guys get used more or less a lot on special teams as well. And the talent is there. And I think that's where we're going to start seeing a lot of gradual improvement on the defensive back front is their utilization on the special teams 
in, in our special teams. Uh, I think the more and more that you kind of look ahead, uh, not to allude to recruiting or anything like that, but for as much talent, as much depth as we got, we still are taking four, potentially five guys in this 2021 recruiting cycle. And that's with some of these guys still potentially staying. I mean, KJ could still stay, even though he might have draft potential. Mike Kenton, same thing. He has draft potential, but he could still stay. And now we have the most crowded defensive back group in, in the American, basically. I, I think this group is one that's going to be fun to watch. I think they're going to create absolute havoc. I, I, I'm going to really enjoy watching this, this D, these DBs get picks, you know, every other game. And FAU DB led the country in interceptions last year. So now you're just hoping you get a repeat of that with Coach Spencer's defense. And, you know, they, they led the nation for a while, you know, as a unit in turnovers created. Uh, I think Mike Hampton had, I think he either got close or did set the USF record for pass breakups. Uh, there's talent. I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do because, man, they're going to have to go up against some top level guys throughout the course of the year. Um, and, you know, even, even the Citadel, they, they returned their, their top five receiver. I believe it was like a six, six, one, six, two white guy who uh, had 10 of the team's 15 uh, receiving touchdowns. Um, so it, it's going to be a battle every single game. It's going to be interesting to see how these guys progress, but the, the junior and senior laden unit uh, is uh, it's going to have to lead this this team. Um, be, if they don't play well, then man, it's going to be a super super long year. But if these guys, these guys are what we can hang our hang our hat on. And all right, well, this unit is the best one on the team. They should be okay. And you know, finally, I think special teams is, is going to be huge this year. Uh, hopefully, Trent Snyder, you know, finally got. Uh, some love on, on the Ray Guy watch list after, you know, 45 people uh, had their season canceled. So he finally got bumped up <laughs> onto the list. It's complete asinine that he wasn't on the list to begin with. You know, it's going to be nice to see him boom balls again. And the kick of competition between Spencer Schrader and, and Jared Sackett seemed to be eating up. Sackett, of course, the two-time Luke, Luke Rosa uh, semifinalist and, I think he's connected on over 80% of his kicks in college. Uh, Schrader is the, the speedster uh, around the edge. Um, so, you know, I, I do I do truly love that USF wasted that play when they're up like 30 against UConn. I mean, that... You got to practice for it now. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a microcosm of, of the Charlie Strong era. It's... Uh, Incredible. Hey, man, we're up 30. Let's pull out this trick play. Uh-huh. Over the head. That was excellent. Made oh, everybody man. happy. I, oh, I, do, I do love that uh, the best special teams unit that plays in Raymond James Stadium is the University of South Florida's football team. Not the Bucs, because you figure out a kicker with a shit. Not against Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We're going to talk about it, that. You know, sometimes you, you look at those, it seems like, I mean, you're downtrodden on everything, but defense held their own. It played really, really well down the stretch. Offense just couldn't really make anything happen. And then <laughs> things like that, when you can't score in the red zone and then your kicker can't isn't right. making easy kicks, then games like that happen. But... You know, it's there. There's a lot of positivity. There were some positive moments from last year. There are some positive players. It's whether or not you can make it all function. I think Seth said it right. The last podcast. If you go out of this year 
knowing your quarterback room or knowing who your quarterback could be, who your starter could be next year, barring one of the redshirt freshmen kind of coming up and doing well, then I think you are successful. But if you're doing the same thing where you're unsure going into next year, then you start having the same questions. And exactly. And, and you know, getting, just getting another year for everyone. I, I cannot harp on this enough, especially in that quarterback room. I know we're talking about the specialists, but I think it's going to be a fun uh, real quick. Kobe Weiss, uh, I think he's back practicing, but he, he was hurt uh, in fall camp, which kind of set him back and set him apart from Jared Sackett and uh, Spencer Schrader. So hopefully he can get back healthy. I know he went like vegan and lost like 30 pounds and has you know, best best shape of his life, but uh, hopefully he gets back and, and can compete once again. I think this is going to be an area where, you know, a lot of uh, hidden yardage, so to speak, they went out and actually hired a, a coach just to coach special teams. Preach it. Which they just kind of had, you know, some guy doing it off the side last year. And and for lack of a better term, they basically punted special teams. They're just like, whatever. And if you're in, and if you're in school in Florida, you've got to dominate special teams. You should have more speed than most people you play. You should – those is where that's where you can really pick up and really get some hidden yardage – a better field position for yourself. We talked all last year about how important field position is and not being in a field position deficit. And it happened game after game after game where your your offense was struggling and then you also gave them terrible field position because you couldn't field a punt or try to return a punt or maybe try to block a punt. You just it was just like, all right, whatever. We're just going to fair catch this punt, thanks. We'll just take it wherever. I think having an improved special teams, which I guarantee they will be better on special teams this year, could go a long way towards maybe turning one or two games. I mean, if you're looking at it from very positive, but it's going to help you out a ton everywhere if you actually, you know, put effort into special teams. I, did, I felt like last year they just kind of – it was mostly whatever, and you kind of see that in the performance of yep. guys. So I think we all saw that Central Arkansas game. Austin uh, Pete. Austin Pete. The, the only thing that could – could worry USF is a long snapper, right? Uh, I think so Central Arkansas was down to their fourth string. Mm-hmm. And the guy's not technically not even a, a, a long snapper. Um, it, I think it was Roger Sherman from The Ringer, who, a fantastic writer, went down the rabbit hole of long snappers the other day and mm-hmm. found out that the guy who was actually long snapping was actually a walk-on linebacker who snapped in high, high school Maybe yeah. uh, they have three long snappers listed on their roster. I believe two of them, or at least the starter was held out of the game due to unspecified <laughs> COVID reasons. So they were down to truly their fourth string long snapper and it caused chaos for them all night. And with uh, Anthony as a starter, your backup was supposed to be Andrew Beardall. He tore his ACL so they've got to walk on now. I, oh man, I, I wrote about this uh, like two days ago. How can I not? Brandon? Um, Bryce. Bryce, Bryce, Bernard. Bryce, Bryce Bernard is the the now backup long snapper to Ian Deneen. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And, man, it could cause some some real chaos, man. It, it could be college long snappers. It could be the new hashtag this year. Uh, if that if that unit gets hit with COVID, much like uh, Central Arkansas did, it, it could cause real chaos. I've got, a, I've got a long snapper story. 
But uh, when I was playing in college, we're about, you know, two or three weeks into camp. And this guy walks up. He looks like he, I thought he was a coach because it was my first year there. I thought he's it's just this kind of tall, fat guy with this beard. And he just walks up, no helmet or anything. But he has a jersey on me. Who is this dude? He was the long snapper. He just showed up three, week, three weeks late for practice. He was the only one on the team that could do it. So the coaches didn't care. And he, he looked like he was 40 years old. He, that's all he did. He just long snapped. He'd walk off to the side. I think I might have seen him smoke a cigarette during practice. <laughs> but, but long snappers are interesting dudes. Some of these guys, that's all they do. That's just, you know, I, there's, uh, there's whole families of kids that just do this and get scholarships for it. It's an interesting, interesting position. You would think it's not that hard, but by God, is it hard. <laughs> Listen, if you don't have a good long snapper, your special teams are, are bad. Like, it's just there's no doubt about it. <laughs> Check out uh, the I don't know, the Crowfoot family. When I was at South Carolina, one of the guys, uh, the long snapper was a Crowfoot, and they had like two or three kids. They were not big. They were all probably 185, 190 pounds. But they were all very good long snappers. They got scholarships. I think Auburn, South Carolina. I think there might have been one other SEC school. And that's all they did. They just went to school. They just wanted to be long snappers, and they were pretty good. Listen, to be a long snapper, you have to have a very unique set of skills. You have to have good you have to have at least a lanky enough arm to get around your asshole to snap it. And then you have to be a little bit fast. Yeah, because you got to come with punts, number one first guy down. Got to be. And that's why Alex Savato will, be, uh, will go down in the record books as the best USF long snapper in history, man. I think he started like 36 games for the Bulls. Nary a mistake. And it took a long time for a punt to get blocked while he on his watch. Oh man, I miss him. He was, uh, you know, I think he was listed at like five, five ten, uh, two hundred pounds. He I was, was like, generous. He was like five eight, one sixty five, man, at least. They can't touch him. No, absolutely not. Keep your head down. Don't move. <laughs> Can I just say that long snapper would be a great Scotch Irish uh, last name? <laughs> absolutely. Well, guys, we went long, so we're gonna do two podcasts. So this was the. Position breakdown for the USF Bulls 2020 season. I uh, hope it was insightful. Hope you guys enjoyed it, learned something, asked questions. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have part two coming up uh, in the next day or so. We're going to actually record it right now, but I'll let you know when they, the second one comes out. We've still got to go over the schedules, the preseason polls, best case, worst case, breakout players. We've got a whole bunch of stuff ready and waiting for you guys. So I appreciate it. Uh, final thing uh, on this one, Senator Giggity uh, has been on top of this. God, since it, the, the auction opened gigs, what you got for us on, on the, the coach Scott uh, football auction with all the cool goodies. What's what's uh, what kind of piqued your interest? What were the final numbers that you saw? Well, I, uh, I as somebody who parts with money, like uh, just, you know, an idiot with money. Uh, I was watching this auction from the get go. I wanted several items. Unfortunately, we have some people, some fans with uh, deep pockets, and that's that's good, but it's also really annoying at this point. So I did some fuzzy math. It ended uh, at 8 p.m., and the total, and once again, very fuzzy math, is just a little bit under $44,000, and that's something. Wow. I, I've, I've never – I mean, just the, the, I think the biggest thing was uh, a dinner – Actually, I'll take that back. I'm just looking down this right now. 
61 or $6,100 for a, a golf outing, uh, just some, some insane stuff. The, uh, Sinat, Sinat's helmet didn't go for more than 400. I take that personally a little bit more than he probably will. But my favorite thing, this whole was that, uh, there were, I think there was five of the shiny Chrome helmets, shiny Chrome gold helmets. And four of the five sold for exactly $420. (laughs) Oh, nice. Impressive. I thought that was a little too on the nose. I I mean, they should have been green helmets, but whatever. True. Um, yeah, that's 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 absolutely insane. For I mean, in in this economy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Kidding. Uh, yeah, how so. much did the the national championship tickets go for? I saw them at like uh, four thousand dollars. <sighs> yeah, man, that's steep. That's steep, brother. That's uh. I mean, I I, I bid on a lot of these things, and I was like, screw that noise. <laughs> yeah. Well, Good that the fans came out. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I appreciate everyone. Donate. Donate what you can. I appreciate it. Uh, signing off for part one of the USF, uh, the Bluminati USF football 2020 mega preview. We'll be back with more. Go Bulls. Mega preview. Go Bulls. Bulls. Bulls.